0: In episode 486 with Dr. Victoria Dunkley, we are talking all about screen time, what it's doing to our children's brains, how to help them break the screen addiction, plus so much more. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is I am so excited about this episode because it's not something that we have covered on the show in depth. And this is an episode for all parents and parents-to-be. You are going to want to listen to this with your partner and share it with all of your friends because it is such important information. And for those of you that have never heard of Victoria she is an award-winning integrative child psychiatrist based out of the center of life in los angeles she is an internationally recognized expert on the impact of screen time on the developing brain and a leading voice regarding screen time's influence on misdiagnoses and overprescribing in children she was recently named one of america's top psychiatrists which is amazing and she's been featured on such media outlets such as psychology today NBC Nightly News, CNN, NRP, and Good Morning America. She is also the author of the groundbreaking book, Reset Your Child's Brain, which is now published in 10 languages and is essential reading for every parent or parent-to-be. Guys, you are going to want to read this book. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 486. Now let's bring on the incredible Victoria and let's get this party started. Dr. Victoria Dunkley, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? This morning, I had
1: two fried eggs and um, tomatoes and a banana. It's my breakfast every day.
0: (laughs) I love it. I eat the same thing pretty much every day as well because it's just so much easier and it takes out that decision fatigue. Exactly. Okay. So you are an expert on talking about electronic screen syndrome, ESS. Can you please tell us what that is? Sure.
1: Sure. So electronic screen syndrome is simply a way to describe when the over when the nervous system becomes overstimulated from too much screen time. So what happens is every time a child picks up a screen device and interacts with that device, it actually triggers the fight or flight response in the brain. And it as it turns out, this isn't this doesn't happen just by one mechanism but by numerous mechanisms. So the reward pathways are intensely activated um, there's a lot of sensory input going on, a lot of vivid colors. There's a, the rapid pace. Um, and then psychological, you know, content-wise, it's very stimulating. A lot of times people are multitasking, which is also, you know, raises arousal levels. And then we have the radiation, which also research shows that it increases arousal levels which triggers that same fight-or-fight response. So what happens over time is the brain starts to react like it's in a state of trauma, and actually the frontal lobe, which is where all of our executive functioning and emotional regulation, all the things that make us human, basically kind of gets short circuited. So the, the child starts to behave in a more primitive way, more reactive. They can't focus. They're very irritable, You know, prone to moodiness, anxiety. So that can end up looking like all sorts of different diagnoses. It could look like ADHD, anxiety, depression. So I, I named this electronic screen syndrome, because I was seeing so many kids who were being misdiagnosed or whatever they had going on was a lot worse and they weren't responding to treatment. So that's kind of the the background of how I came up with electronic screen syndrome.
0: Okay. So at what point should parents be concerned or worried about it? Well,
1: basically, if you understand kind of the physiology of what's going on in the brain, that tells you what to look for. So if you see a child who is seems like they're dysregulated. They're not sleeping well. They're very sensitive to stress. So small little things will set them off. They can't seem to cope or plan or get their, their work done. Or a lot of times parents say like, I know my child's smart, but they're not able to learn. So things like that are red flags. And even kids that aren't using screens that much, and even if kids are you know well under the recommended level or limits of one to two hours a day, you know, every child's different. So some kids are just more sensitive than others. So some of the kids I see only play once a week and they still have issues from it. So those are the kind of things that we, that we look for. Does a child just seem like they're revved up all the time and not rested and not at peace? And then the other thing is, I really want to, one of the, one of the things I like to point out is that this is really different from tech addiction. It's part of the same process but a child, this, this can happen much earlier on. So sometimes it certainly can happen if the child is addicted, but even children who aren't addicted, who say, you know, my child can take or, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing, they can still become dysregulated. So we really have to think of screen time as being psychoactive. It's not just a benign thing, even if it's, even if the content is, edu- you know, quote unquote educational, or they're doing something creative All of these, the brain doesn't care. It's still responding the same way. It's just overstimulating. It's an unnatural
0: stimulus. That's really interesting because a lot of parents will say, but it's educational and it's beautiful and inspiring and very different to those, oh my gosh, the video games where they're shooting and killing people and things like that. So you're saying the brain doesn't recognize the difference. It's all the same. Right. Well,
1: uh, I mean, certainly a violent video game is going to be worse psychologically than some of these other things. But all screen time, all activities are geared to keep the user on the screen. So they're employing all these different um, techniques to make it exciting, to make it beautiful, to make it compelling. But the changes like to the body clock, for example, that's really just dependent on the light. So we're not really meant to look at light directly, we're meant to have light bounce off of objects. So the eyes aren't meant to look at that screen light, especially for prolonged periods. So all of that stuff, all that stimulation, bright light, blue light, which is what screens have, even if you block the blue light, all of it can desynchronize the body clock. And that depends on not just using it before bedtime, which is kind of a myth, but how much you're using it throughout the day. So a lot of kids, you know, even within 10 minutes, you can see changes to our suppression of melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. So it's not just the the body clock and melatonin. Melatonin does all these other things that actually protects the DNA in the brain. It's a hormone regulator. It's anti-inflammatory. And so if you look at the physiology, we do see these same things with educational screen time too, which is why the screens in school is such an issue. Because you know, you're not necessarily protected just because the child's learning something. And by the way, there, there's no proof that they're going to learn anything any faster using all the, all of these fancy apps and all these, these things that schools are, are using these days. What we know is that children learn better from face-to-face interaction, that they learn better from paper than from a screen, you know, whether it's reading or math or anything like that. So we're not doing kids any favors by handing them advice and having them do educational stuff.
0: Mm. I want to dive into that because that is a massive misconception that a lot of parents think they're going to learn more, they're going to be left behind, they're going to be left behind. If they aren't exposed to computers and technology, they're going to be left behind and heaven forbid they'll be left behind. But we all grew up with no computers and no laptops and, and iPhones and things like that, smartphones, and we turned out pretty good. So this misconception that they're going to be left behind. Can you talk to that?
1: Yes. That that phrase right there is exactly what marketers perpetuate and they want parents to feel pressure to not let, let their kids be left behind. They want educators to feel that. So this is really like at a um, systemic level, this myth that, kids will be left behind. The kids are going to be left behind. And I see this now as I'm watching kids, I'm following kids over 10, 15 years now. The kids who are left behind are the kids who can't focus, who can't get stuff done. And we know that screen time impacts focus and executive functioning. That is some of the strongest research. And we also know that kids and young people in general, they learn technology very easily. Technology skills are meant to be learned very easily. They're supposed to be You know, there's tons of engineers who are always working on things to make the user interface more natural, easy, easy to learn. You know, have you ever met a young person that's not good at using technology? You just don't see it. So even kids who are completely left off technology altogether, when they jump in, when they do jump in, they learn it very, very fast. And I've even, you know, and there's another idea that um, older people can't learn it either. And I've seen... Elderly people also learn technology. I also work with adults that have learning disabilities. They are—they're all able to learn to use technology. So that is—that's a myth that's perpetuated.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that you said that because it is this narrative that goes around and around, and it's not something that I subscribe to or that I believe in. And you know, my husband and I joke—we have a one and a half year old beautiful daughter—and we joke that she won't be getting a phone until she's. Like 18 until she's like, I'm moving out, or if she does move out, like seriously, I'm like, I am going to prolong that as much as I possibly can. I am going to prolong it. You know, if it can be any, even any later, I will do my very, very best to prolong that. And she'll be okay. She'll be okay. And I know there's probably lots of parents going, Oh, how can you deprive your child of a phone? How could you do that? But to me, it's just the detrimental effects just outweigh the other things that it comes with. It just doesn't, you know, and, you know, we will most likely be homeschooling her and we've got a beautiful like-minded community here where all of us feel the same way. Like we all want to prolong that as much as possible. I understand that it's challenging if they go to a school and all of their friends have smartphones and all of their friends have iPads and computers and all of these things. I understand that would be really challenging for parents because they would come home and all of their friends are talking about a particular game and I've heard this so many times where they come home, they talk about something that's happening online and the Child that doesn't have the phone feels left out, and that's really tricky because you don't want your child to feel that. So, how do we navigate that?
1: Yeah, I mean that is a it's a tough question. I think when you stay away from it and you keep the kids off social media and delay giving a smartphone as late as you can, like you were just saying, that is the key. And the more families that do that, obviously, the better. And it's starting to happen. You know, ironically, it's happening already in Silicon Valley here in California, where all of the tech companies are. There's another pocket down here, the Silicon Beach, where I'm also hearing the same thing from parents because parents are, t- everyone's just more aware now. And there's families that have older, you know, older children or young adult children who have gone through this. And they're, it, you know, if it's hell, like if their child is addicted to technology And there's like, you know, the failure to launch syndrome about kids, you know, kids who are living in their parents' home until until their late 20s. There's all these issues going on. So now I think because people are more aware of that and they're seeing it in their friends and family and neighbors, they are being more cautious. So I am hearing moms talk about uh, a group of moms banding together and saying, we're just not going to give our child a smartphone. Or we're just not gonna let our daughters be on social media because it's so risky. And if you if you just wait, the child, yes, they may know here and there that you know something's going on and they and they may or may not feel left out. But I think that the children who are really attached to the parents, who have a healthy attachment to the parents, that is the kind of the key to keeping the child feeling secure and still involved. It's the kids who already have a smartphone and then you try to take it away. That is, you know, much, much, much harder. So that's why, like, my main message now is really to parents, like, I really want to focus on prevention. And there's, you know, there's really, you, you don't want to rush childhood. They're only going to be young once. And then they're going to have their whole life to be, like, dealing with phones and computers and screen time. And it, it just, you know, we can't get away from it. But we want to protect their childhood and also protect their brain. So the brain is really still actively developing until the mid-20s. So it doesn't even make sense that we're asking young people to be able to control their usage when their brain's not even fully developed.
0: Mm, That's a really good point. We're saying don't spend too much time on your phone, monitor your usage when they haven't even got a fully developed brain. It's crazy that we're asking them to actually do that. And that
1: skill of like controlling your use is, is a skill... That's developed in the frontal lobe. And that's that same skill that's getting undermined by screen time. So that's the irony. It's like brain wise, we can't expect kids to be using devices and just say, oh, they need to learn how to control their use. It doesn't make sense from a neurophysiological point of view or a developmental point of view either. So it's much better to protect the brain as long as you can and develop that um, impulse control and self discipline. And then that translates into being able to control their, their use in all you know in in other ways too not just technology but eating right exercising all of those, those other things
0: it's about protecting their brain and protecting their childhood and like you said they've got the rest of their life to be on their phones and computers and do all of that and these early years are just so sacred whilst they're under your roof until they're 18 or whenever it is that they leave or go to college or university or whatever it is like they're under your care, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we are protecting that—that that they are fed, that they are sleeping, that they are outside in nature, that they're brushing their teeth. You know, that's our role as their guardians to hold that space for them. I feel like that's our role. It's not to you know demand things of them and and do that. It's it, our role is to keep that childhood really sacred and special so that they look back on those memories and just feel so much love and joy in their heart. And you know, you have spoken about how electronics can contribute to misdiagnosing different psychiatric disorders in children. Can you talk about that? Sure.
1: So we're, we're actually, even pre-pandemic, we were seeing mental health disorders in children were on the rise. So there's an increase in depression and su- even suicides anxiety disorders, ADHD, autism, bipolar disorder, all of these things have been increasing over the past couple decades. And then the pandemic just magnified that. And we already know that all of these issues are linked to screen time. And these, you know, even if a child has those issues, they certainly will be worse. But they, if they don't have those issues, they can look like they have those issues. And tics, that's another one, tics and Tourette syndrome is also made worse by screen time. So we already know that these things are linked together. We know that the pandemic made them worse. And we know that because of the pandemic-related research, they actually showed that children that had the most screen time have the worst outcomes. And children with the least screen time have the best outcomes. So the, the research that was done because of the pandemic in terms of screen time and mental health, screen time and obesity, all of these things, You know, it just underscored the things we've all been saying for years now. So we just have to acknowledge it. There's just no way to work around it. We have to look at what the brain needs to thrive and what irritates the brain. And then you just have to adjust. There's that's just that's it right there.
0: Hmm. So where do we begin? You know, you've spoken about it affecting our mood, our brain, our focus, our behavior. It even affects our social skills. But for someone listening who recognizes that their child is having a lot more screen time than they would like, it is a lot trickier to take this away from them, especially if they've had it. You talk about doing a screen fast. Like where do we begin to start to recreate a different relationship with screens for our children especially if they've been addicted.
1: Yes. So I really do advocate the screen fast. It's a 3 to 4 weeks screen fast. It's really the gold standard. So I know a lot of times people say, "Well, I just want to try to cut down." And I I say, "Okay, try to cut down, but if you're in the same, you know, saying the same thing in 3 months from now, just do the screen fast." Because once these systems, the the body clock, all the the biorhythms the dopamine pathways, the dopamine pathways get hit really hard because it's so stimulating. The, the reward pathways get overstimulated and then they become desensitized and they don't work anymore. So then the child's not, can't engage them in other ways. And the stress hormones increase. And this is not just fight or flight hormones, but also cortisol, which is the chronic stress hormone. So it's really hard to reverse these things just by cutting back. It does help to cut back. I don't want to say like, don't try But to really reverse all of these things and reset everything in the nervous system, you really have to pull all that stimulation away. And also, immediately the child will start sleeping better, their mood's better within a few days, especially in young kids, you can see within a few days a big change. Even in teens, though, by the second week, you'll start to see a big difference. The parents always say, oh, they're smiling more, they're laughing more, they have better eye contact, they're more relaxed, they're coming out of their room more. You know, it's really dramatic. You can see kids start reading. You know, I have a lot of, see a lot of boys and the parents are like, oh, he, he doesn't read. He won't read. And then all of a sudden they start reading or they're more interested in reading. They play outside more. They're, so all of these things start ha- to happen. But the other thing about the screen fast, what happens is the child actually goes through like a grieving process because, because it's gone for so long that they, they accept it you know they get mad there's you know they do bargaining they do, they go really like literally go through the grieving process and then they come to acceptance and once they get to that acceptance place then the, the mind just starts to blossom and they they realize okay well I'm going to be bored if I'm just sitting here so they then they start to do something but we also do a lot of planning during the screen fast like in terms of activities because you know we don't want kids to feel anxious and we don't want parents to feel like oh my gosh what's going to happen or we don't want parents to give in so we, we plan the whole three to four weeks, you know, plan it, plan out, especially the first week or so activities, you know, just make sure that the day is structured, but we want to really make sure that the child is spending time with the parent because that one-on-one time actually helps rewire the brain. Bonding actually rewires the brain and protects against tech addiction. And we want to make sure that the child's getting plenty of exercise and outdoor, outdoor activities. Parents may need to host like play dates or social activities, just to make sure that it's screen free. It's helpful to do it with another family, if you can talk another family into it, but I have plenty of families that just do it on their own. And then the other thing that happens is a lot of times parents will say, we're having so much longer conversations, you know, the, and the parent becomes more aware of their own screen use. And that's part of it too. It's like the, the whole family really has to do it together. They may not have all the same rules, but they have some rules and that helps the child feel like they're not being punished or, and, and that it's a, a family, a family endeavor. So when all of these things are in place, not only do all of their mental health issues improve, but they develop, they start developing different habits and the whole family starts interacting differently. So at the end of the fast, you can, you know, we have like questionnaires and stuff to see like, did they, are they actually reset? Did there, is their nervous system reset? Are they regulated? Do their grades go up? Are they sleeping more? So we kind of try to quantify things as much as possible. And then my hope is that they always just continue being as abstinent as they can for as long as possible. But some parents want to try to reintroduce. So then we just do that very slowly, like just a little bit on the weekend. And whether to introduce, reintroduce or not, it's, it's really you know dependent on what are the risk factors going on. Like a child who's really addicted, it's probably not a good idea to reintroduce. Or a child that has autism and they started talking, you know, it's probably not a good idea to reintroduce. So you have to really look at those things carefully. Or, or, and why does the parent want to reintroduce in the first place, you know? So a lot of times parents will have a learning curve at that point, and they may need to pull back again or do another fast. But, you know, at least it's, it's, it's a journey.
0: Yes, absolutely. So how do you navigate that if they're at a school where they use electronics? Do you have to wait till the school holidays? How would you propose someone navigates that?
1: That's the million dollar question. (laughs) I think it used to be that there wasn't, there was, you know, some kids might have a little bit going on. Now it's like almost everybody has screens in school going on. So we try to figure out if any of it can be eliminated easily. So that's the first order of business. In some cases, we ask all the teachers, like, can we just do paper assignments? Can the child opt out of one-to-one, you know, device programs? Some schools will allow kids to do that, and some schools resist. Sometimes I'll say, this child, we're we're trying to do a four-week screen fast with them. Would you be willing to be on board and, you know, have them not do screen time for these four weeks and see what happens? Sometimes the school, if the child's struggling in school, they may say, hey, okay, well, we'll, we'll do it, especially with younger kids. Um, with older kids, sometimes we just do things like, you know, this child's not going to do their homework on the computer for the next four weeks because I want them to get some sleep. This child can't sleep. They're depressed. They're anxious, whatever. And if the school still says no, I've had families just say, you know what? My kid's just not going to do their homework that during those four weeks. Or the, If they ha- don't get it done during school, it's just not going to get done. There's different ways to handle it. I do always encourage parents to talk to the school, talk to the teachers, get rid of what you can, bring it up, because the more parents bring it up, the more likely the school will eventually make a change. I think um, in the past, schools, their knee-jerk response was just to say, no, we can't. Now, because of all the research that's come out showing again and again and again, (laughs) that screen time is linked to all these things. And also showing that schools that have the least amount of screen time have the highest, highest standardized scores, and vice versa. So I think schools are a little bit more open now. And there's also a lot of research showing that light at night, like using having to use the computer for homework and things like that, is is very. There's a very tight association between that and depression and suicidal thinking. And we know that there's a huge suicide crisis going on right now. You know, even before the pandemic, it was on the rise. Now it's it's really high. So we have to look at these things closely. And if we can't be forcing kids to do homework on the computer at night, especially if they're depressed. So I just always encourage parents to say something to the school. If they can find other parents to say something together, that can help too. But just, you know, use your voice and keep asking.
0: Mm -hmm. This is your child's health, your child's physical and mental health. So you are paying to go to that school. Well, not every school you have to pay for, but, you know, A lot of people are paying to go to that school. You deserve to share your thoughts and don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to speak up and to say, hey, can we try this with my child? Or is there anyone else that wants to try it? Or maybe you get a few families that want to try it. I think that's a really great thing to do. We, if we ever need to look at our computer or phone in the evening, we have our blue light blocking glasses that we use. And we also have flux on our computer, which takes out the blue light in our computer. And then we put on night mode on our phone and flux and night mode are actually on our phones and computers all day long. So I don't have to like worry about flicking it. It's just on. So there's never any blue light when I'm looking at my computer or my phone and I've got my blue light blocking glasses on. You can also change the lighting in your home. I've spoken so much about this. On the podcast, I had Andy Mant from Bond Charge on the podcast and Jack Cruz talking all about blue light and what we can do to mitigate some of those effects on our nervous system, on everything. So I really love this. So we can start with a three to four week fast. That's such a great thing to do. Can you just talk about how or if there is any difference between you know, passive screen activity, like watching TV compared to gaming and things like that. Is there a difference or is screen time, screen time? There
1: is a difference. What we know is that interactive screen time, even though traditionally people have thought, oh, passive screen time is worse because they're just sitting there and they're just, you know, a couch potato and not doing anything. At least if they're interacting, they're using their brain. But what I was seeing was that kids who were doing interactive screen time were, were much worse. And now we have research showing that, yes, that's true. Interactive screen time, even short amounts can alter sleep and mood and cognition the following day compared to passive screen time. And when I say passive, I mean like watching TV from across the room, not flipping through channels or, you know, watching TV on an iPad or anything like that. So we know that um, passive screen time, it's, it's just not as disruptive to the nervous system and it's not as addicting.
0: That's very interesting. Very, very interesting. So what about parents who say, this is just going to be too hard, this fast, this screen fast is going to be too hard. My child is going to have a tantrum. What would you say to that? Like, where do they begin? Yeah, I think they have to
1: look at the tantrums. Is the child having tantrums in general? Because doing the screen fast will eliminate a lot of the tantrums, if not all of them in general. So if a child is really having a lot of tantrums, the parent starts to tiptoe around them. You know, they all say the same thing. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. That's like when I'm on my questionnaire, <laughs> if they use that expression. So you really want to look at, are they having tantrums in general, not just around screen time, but just about everything. So I think you, the best thing to do is really equip yourself with the educational piece and plan. So you want to be, you want to know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it and what results you're looking for. So I have people, you know, identify a couple problem areas to track, identify what, the, what it is they want to change. Are they worried about their child not doing screen-free activities? Do they feel like they, it's just a constant battle in the home? You know, what are they looking for to change? And I also tell, like in the book, I, I talk a lot about just different stories. It helps. It really helps parents to hear success stories. Of course, they're going to have a tantrum. Of course, they're not going to like it. But you will get through that part, and the payoff is huge. So, what I tell parents is, if you if you're trying to cut down and it's not working, consider doing the fast. In the meantime, try to at least have a few days. See if you can go screen free for a few days. Make sure there's no devices in the bedroom. That's a huge one. A lot of times, people families are letting their children use go on their devices before school. And you're really like zapping their mental energy before they even started their day. So just you could try getting rid of certain, you know, certain habits like that. But if the battle is harder than it seems worth, I definitely recommend just going to the screen fast because the pay, you know, you'll just see so many benefits. It's really dramatic.
0: So let's talk about a teenager. What's a healthy dose? Like how much is a healthy dose for them? with their phone and then with their computers. What do you recommend? So for teenagers, it's really hard. And it's just becoming harder. I think it differs
1: from child to child, but it's really like saying like, what's a healthy dose of junk food or caffeine? There's really not a healthy dose in my in my view. And also we know that young people, like we, we don't recommend giving caffeine to young people, including teenagers, because we know it doesn't agree with them. So... If you think of screen time as a stimulant, you're really asking like how much of this dose of a stimulant can this teenager tolerate? Well, they're going to be able to tolerate it a lot better if they have the screen fast. And I know I keep circling back to that, but sometimes if the nervous system is revved up and irritated, they're not going to be able to tolerate it at all. And other kids, I see them that they are, they may be able to tolerate it. They may be doing well in school, they have friends, they are in sports, they're active, but maybe they're having trouble with their vision, or maybe they're already starting to have this, you know, posture issues. So we're seeing a lot of, you know, I used to just see it in boys and young men where they have this forward head posture and they they were kind of curved like this a little bit. And now I'm seeing it in younger and younger kids. I just saw a second grader with it and it's, it's just so, and I know it's from school, It's very depressing, but now we're seeing it in girls and I'm seeing it, not just the forward head posture, but a little, but the upper back right here is curving and the bones in young people are soft. So when you start to have posture issues, when your bones are developing, it's, it's going to be permanent. You know, it's very hard to correct that compared to, you know, if an adult does it, you can, you can modify it a little bit, but when that happens, when they're young, You know, I mean, chiropractors and physical therapists that now they're just like, we're seeing things that we didn't used to see until people were middle aged, a lot of neck and back and, you know, chronic um, repetition, injuries, things like that. So even if a child's tolerating it in terms of their nervous system, their body might be manifesting side effects in other ways. So that's why I always just recommend like doing the fast because then you see what your child looks like off screens. Change the habits up and then decide from there. That gives you more information to make a decision. and then really the, you know there's no if there's no healthy dose, you just want to minimize as much as you can. So if they have to do some for school, you know just minimize it as much as you can. They don't need to be on devices the rest of the day too. So that's really my message is that less is more.
0: Absolutely. I liked the comparison to coffee because screen time is a stimulant, and so is coffee. And we wouldn't, yeah, we don't give our children 15 cups of coffee a day and we're okay with that. Yet we're allowing them to be on screens for 15 hours a day, you know, and it's just. Yes, you're exactly right.
1: And the scary thing is the imaging studies that look at tech addiction, video game addiction, internet addiction that we have on young adults, so teenagers and young adults, it's scary. There is actual brain damage going on that looks very similar to um, drug and alcohol damage. So it's it's really even it's you know, it's more like an amphetamine than caffeine. Never in history have we given kids something and forced them to use it, you know, in terms of school, something that's addicting, that's psychoactive, that we know causes issues with mental health, with physical health. So, you know, if if we want to really look at the future of our children, we really have to have a more serious conversation about letting kids do a lot of these things in the first place until they're adults.
0: Absolutely. If I had it entirely my way, like I said, my daughter would not touch a phone, look at a phone or a computer or a TV for as long as possible. However, you know, my parents, her grandparents don't live here. So she once a week, She'll FaceTime them and it's very short, like I'm talking a couple of minutes just so they can see her. Even then I'm like, I really don't want to do this, but I don't want to deprive my parents of seeing their granddaughter. You know what I mean? So I'm like, how do I navigate that?
1: Yeah. I think doing what you're doing, you know, you're keeping it short. It's once a week. If you started to see your daughter really have a lot of issues afterwards, then you be, might be like, well, maybe we should just <laughs> you know, put a hold on that for a few weeks, give her a little break. But I think that's the case. If you're keeping the children away from it and then it's just a little bit here and there, obviously that's going to be more tolerable than repeated use day in and day out.
0: Yes, absolutely. I have some friends who have children and they will only let them watch you know, one show on a weekend, on a Saturday or a Sunday, or they only get screen time when they're on aeroplanes or in the car or things like that. So I feel like, you know, these are some really healthy boundaries. And I truly don't feel like unless they've left home, they're 18. Like, why do they need phones? Like, really? Like, I didn't have a phone. I got one in like, I think year 12, like my final, maybe year 11 and 12. And it was just not, it was not a smartphone. All you could do was text and call. And I barely used it. And it was mainly like for the weekends or whatever. And it was my mum's old phone. And I got one because everyone else was getting one. We didn't have smartphones. And my husband, who's older than me, no phones, no phones at all. And I'd ask my husband, you know, in your high school years, did you, reflecting back now, did you ever feel like, oh, I would have needed a phone for that? Or and he's like, no, we went to the pay phone if we needed to call our parents or We just said, be on this side of the street at this time to get picked up from school or whatever it was. So let's go back. Let's go back to those times where, you know, we just arranged to meet with someone at this time, at this location, and we show up, you know, let's just do that. Let's eliminate it as much as possible. And I think everything that we've spoken about, we need to practice as well. You know, children learn best by watching their parents and i have a 16 year old stepson and it was not you know when he got a phone i was like i am not agreeing with this at all but you know there's it, it was not my say entirely but i you know let everyone know that this was not something that i believed in not something that i agreed with but there's two different families in that situation which is trickier And there's, you know, I just had to let go and surrender, but there's boundaries with it when he's here in our house, and especially around our daughter, like there's very strict boundaries around her. You know, we're not on it. We're not looking at it when she's there. We try and keep them out of her sight as much as possible. Computers are out of her, everything is out of her sight. And it's just a habit, you know, these habits, these healthy habits and these healthy boundaries, the more we do them, the more we embody them, the easier they become. And it's only going to benefit your mental health and your children's mental health. So there are so many long-term and developmental concerns regarding long-term passive electronic use. So is there anything else that you know, could happen if we continued this way?
1: I mean, I just think it's unsustainable the way things are going now. We are already seeing so many young adults who have trouble functioning. You know, they become overwhelmed by making a phone call. They can't manage their money. And they're taking a lot longer to leave the home and purchase things. And, you know, just all the things, the milestones that we made and we were looking to make, they're afraid. So there's a great book about the the iGen or iGen generation, something like that. Uh, but that talks about the lack of coping skills and the, the levels of depression and anxiety. They're just through the roof. And it just keeps seems to be getting worse. So I'm not sure it's sustainable the way it's going right now. I just feel like there ha- the pendulum has to swing the other way. Otherwise, we're going to have a bunch of non-functional adults.
0: Yes, it is a problem. It's something that we need to look at. It's something that we need to address. Now, if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world, besides your book, what is one book you would choose? Oh, good
1: question. I think I would choose the book Screen Schooled <laughs> because it's written by two teachers and they talk about that technology is making the kids dumber. You know, they They have a hard time with abstract thinking, remembering things. And another thing that they both of these teachers said that I've heard other teachers say, and I've also heard coaches say this, is that kids don't take responsibility for anything anymore. They just blame other people. So it's really affecting character development, too. So that book is just it breaks things down in a really easy, understandable way. It's backed by research and they're also two super smart guys, but they're funny and everything. So that's the book, Screen Schooled. <laughs> that's what I would recommend.
0: I love it. I'm going to definitely get that and read it. That sounds amazing. I think it's just really important as well for couples to be on the same page with this. It's really important because if one person is really on board and the other one isn't, it's it's gonna there's going to be friction. That's for sure. So you know, maybe both of you read the books, get your partner to listen to this episode. Both of you read your books and so that you're on the same page. I am probably a lot more strict than my husband. Um, He's a little bit more relaxed around it, but hopefully he's listening to this episode right now and uh, he will, you know, just understand on a deeper level, the detrimental effects that screen time is having on our little people. So I'm going to get that book. Thank you for that recommendation. Is there anything else that you want us to know about screen usage or anything that we haven't spoken about? I think, you know,
1: just going back to what you were just saying, when when the two parents are not on the same page, especially if they're not in the same household, that's a really common issue. But one thing, if you are going to do the screen fast to just say to the other parent, Hey, I know you don't, I know you are not buying into this, but just try it as an experiment. That way you're not, you're not trying to convince them. You're just saying, Hey, will you just respect me enough to say, or respect the situation enough to, to honor what I'm trying to do. You can, you know, get them to go along with the program perhaps, and then see for themselves. But the other thing I always tell parents is whether it's, two parents who are parenting differently in two different households, or it's the school's situation or whatever it is, do the best you can at home. Do as much as you can. You can't control everybody else, but you can control what you're doing and what you're introducing and what you're modeling. So I just want to you know, say that. And also the devices in the bedroom, particularly mobile devices are linked to all sorts of issues with sleep, mood, grades, weight, Just physical health, well-being in general. So that if you're going to do one thing, it's remove this devices from the bedroom. And again, model that same thing yourself. And also, I do have uh, an email course on my website. It's drdunkley.com slash video games. And that's just kind of the nuts and bolts of the reset program, what's going on in the brain and what the actual protocol is.
0: Mm, I love that. And we'll link to it in the show notes. I think every parent should do it. It's so important. It's so important. Let's keep them in their childhood, in their beautiful imagination for as long as we possibly can. Let's protect their childhood as long as we can. They can do all of this tech stuff later. Do you know what? We don't even have a TV. We don't have a TV. We got rid of it. And it's one of the best things we've ever done, not having a TV. And sure, if I want to watch something, I have a thing called a laptop, you know, and I can watch things. I'm all good. I also have a smartphone. So if I really want to watch something, I've got my laptop and I've got my smartphone. Another thing we also did was we got rid of iPads. Like we were like, do we really need iPads? Do we really need three computers? Do we need a desktop computer and then a laptop? And we simplified everything. So I have a laptop. My husband has a laptop. I have a phone. He has a phone. That's it. We got rid of our TV. We got rid of iPads. We got rid of everything. We don't have Kindles or anything like that. So we just got rid of everything that we didn't actually need for our work.
1: Thank you for bringing that up, Melissa, because that is a huge... The iPad is like (laughs) the bait of my existence. I just see it just causes so many problems so fast. And it's so hard to give up. So I I totally I tell all my patients that as well, like you, you don't need it, you can you can do everything you need to do on your laptop or your desktop, and or your phone, you know, you do not need the iPad. It's just exactly just get rid of it. And also, as you said, just get rid of like, just have the bare minimum in the home.
0: That's exactly right. And for us, we hardwire our computers in so we don't have Wi Fi on in our home. So my laptop literally stays right where it is. I don't take it to any other room in the house. It stays in my office, hardwired in. Obviously, I take my phone if I'm going into other rooms, but my computer stays here. So, and you know, this is my office. My daughter doesn't come in here. So she doesn't often see laptops. She does see our phones, which are. 98% of the time they're on aeroplane mode and they're out of her sight. But, you know, there's still room for improvement and I'm always wanting to be better and I'm always wanting to do more in this area because I have read, you know, the books. I've read your work. I know what it's doing to their brains. And so it's our job, like I said at the very start of this, it's our job to protect them, to protect their childhood, to keep them healthy and thriving. And this is our role and it's, it's my job. So you have really inspired me to step up my game even more. I'm going to share all of this with my husband and just, you know, step it up a little bit more. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing this today and all of the work that you're doing in the world. You're helping and you are supporting so many parents and you are helping so many little people. So what can we do to support and help and serve you today? Well, I think just
1: really checking out the, you know, checking out the the email mini course on my site. I also have a blog on psychology today called Mental Wealth. And I think I have more than 50 articles that are just on screen time. And there's, you know, everything from tics to ADHD, bipolar disorder, So that's a good resource as well. And I think like what you were just saying about the Wi-Fi, that's really important too. It's really, there's so much research on Wi-Fi and cell phone signals. It's, that's a whole other, you know, topic for discussion, but there's thousands of studies now showing biological effects and, and also mental health effects. And it's just, you know, at the very least it's, it's inflammatory. We know that it causes inflammation at the cellular level. We know that it can cause issues with fertility. Um, and it's probably contributing to all these other mental health issues as well. So, and especially with 5G, it's just layers upon layers upon layers of radio frequency and microwave signals that, you know, we don't know what it's going to do, but it's, it's, not, it's not good. So it is, um, I do it as well. I, you know, I turn off, we, we are hardwired, it is a hassle sometimes, um, but I do feel like it's worth it. And also it really, like you were saying, it really reduces accessibility dramatically. Like if you can't do anything, especially if you have teenagers and stuff, like I think just having that be the rule that you're ha- it's hardwired, it would eliminate a lot of the headaches. It's very hard to get families to do it, but I, I do think it's a worthwhile thing to do for sure.
0: You do not want to be in your home all day long with Wi-Fi frying you. It's just, I mean, I've spoken about this so many times. We have to do our best in our home. And if we can eliminate in our home, then do it. And it also, it's so good for you on so many levels, not only because you're not exposed to the Wi-Fi, but like I do my work here in my office. This is where I do my work. Like I'm not doing my work in my bedroom. I'm not doing my work in the lounge room at the kit. Like this is where I do my work. So I'm focused. I know I come here and I do my work. And it's just so much better. Like it's, I truly don't feel like it's a hassle. I don't at all. You know, we've got three ports, got one for my husband, one for me and one for my stepson. So we're all good. We know where we can go to plug in. It's just a matter of shifting and changing. And then that becomes your new normal. And it's just so much better for your health. And in decades, we will look back and go, why Did we do that? Why did we have Wi Fi on in our home all day? We will look back and we'll say that, like how crazy that was. So let's remove it. Yes, as well as in schools, because it's in the
1: schools, it's even, you know, it's so strong because they're trying to have all these kids download stuff at the same time. So they need to have it, it's very powerful. And the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, put out a joint statement with. Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, as well as the American Academy of Environmental Medicine saying that that the internet should be accessed on a wired only basis for kids in school. And nobody follows it. Nobody. It's like it just, it was a huge thing that these three different organizations came together and put out this statement and no one follows it, which is, a, it's a travesty.
0: It's crazy. Why? Why? Because you have to get a few extra cords? Yeah. <laughs> like BYO your own cord. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's faster. It's
0: more secure. There's so many reasons to
1: do it. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate.
0: Yes. But we can start changing the narrative. We can start speaking up, using our voice. You know, this is one of the reasons why I want to homeschool my daughter, because I don't want her sitting in a room, blasting her with Wi-Fi from eight till three every day. Like, I don't want that. I don't do that myself. I don't do that myself. Why would I do that to my daughter? I know. Like it just doesn't seem (laughs) right. Yeah. And
1: especially if you have a child with special needs, it's even more important because they're more prone to inflammation. Their blood brain barrier is more leaky. Their gut is more leaky. So all of those signals, they're more vulnerable to all of those things. So it's especially important with for children with special needs, especially autism. Mm,
0: yes. I want to encourage everyone to get your books, read your articles, and just educate yourself. Pass this on to your partners. There's so much information out there on this and on the detrimental effects of screen time. So just educate yourself and then you can make the best, most knowledgeable decision for you and your family. So Victoria, thank you so much for being here, for sharing, for all the work that you do in the world. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. It's been a pleasure. This episode has inspired me so much to just clean up my digital hygiene even more. There's always room for improvement for me personally. So this has really inspired me to just up my digital hygiene and be more mindful about my use of my phone in front of my daughter because they are watching everything that we do. Children are watching everything. They are little sponges. They copy, they watch everything that we do. So it's really inspired me to just do better. And I hope it's inspired you as well. And if you loved this conversation and if you got a lot out of it, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together on this really important topic. And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. And please come and tell me on Instagram what you got out of this episode. I would absolutely love to hear from you. And I want to hear if you are going to put your children on a screen fast. Let me know. I will be cheering you on. I am here to support you. So come and let me know. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here because I know that if you're listening to this, you want to do better and you want to be an even better parent. And I want to honor you for that. I really want to honor you for that. You're amazing and you're doing an amazing job. So I'm really, really proud of you and thank you for being here. You're amazing. And if there's anyone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, every single human being, Please share it with them right now. Share it with your partner, especially so that you guys are on the same page and you can share it by taking a screenshot. You can share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Just do whatever you have to do to get this in their ears. And also you could even give Victoria's book to your children's principal or school teacher and just start to educate them, plant the seeds, plant the seeds, plant the seeds And if you don't ask, you don't get. So if you are aware that maybe at your children's school, there is a bit too much screen time, then speak up, use your voice, use your beautiful voice that you were gifted. So thank you for being here. I am so grateful. I love and adore you. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.